Get ready for non-stop action. Get ready for non-stop excitement. They're doing the job possibly nobody wants. Watching every canon film and analyzing them. To death. Frank Garcia Hale. Jeff Garlock in The Canon Canon. Every time I go to hyperspace, I get nervous. Welcome to The Canon Canon. My name is Jeff Garlock. And I am Frank Garcia, Star Crash Hail. Ooh, baby. And that's right. This is the Canon Canon where we talk about Canon films and all of their amazing product. And of course, today is no exception. As you heard right there, we are doing not a Canon film. Yeah. Da, 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 da. This is, as you know, if you're hearing it right now and it is in the month of May. Uh, you are a Patreon member, and this is one of our Could Have Been a Canon episodes, where we do uh, episodes about movies that might as well have been a canon film. Uh, if you are hearing it any other time that is not in May, uh, then you just are someone who enjoys the podcast and didn't feel like helping us out. <laughs> but if you've helped us out, we appreciate you so much. We truly, truly do at patreon.com backslash the canon canon first canon has two ends. All that help is really, truly helping us because especially because yeah, I've been amazed lately, Frank, at I'm always looking at our list and I'm like, oh, yeah, we've got all, so many movies. And then we pick our guests have been picking some crazy choices yeah. in the best way possible lately. Uh, <laughs> Ones that I be, I was like, yeah, I think we'll get to this eventually. <laughs> I was like, oh, we're, we're going to do, yeah. guess we're going to do Hell Squad right away. And I'm loving every second of it. Uh, but yeah, so today is one of our could have been a canons. And uh, we, again, are doing Star Crash, which is very exciting, but was is also exciting. Frank, this is our first time doing a could have been a canon with a wonderful, wonderful guest. Correct. That's right. Usually it's just the two of us in our closets and our <laughs> recording hovels yelling at each other for a very long time about a movie. Yeah. But now, we, and, and it's always canon-based with a guest, but this time we get to do it with an amazing guest. Frank, do you want to introduce our guest for us? Yeah, uh, I met our first get, guest at the, our first guest. We have multiple guests on this one, don't worry. <laughs> get ready, uh, this yeah, one's yeah. got to get wild. Uh, so we'll get them in and out, and we'll get the next one in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I met our guest uh, at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater back in New York. Uh, he's, he's incredible. He's amazing. Uh, I love performing with him. I miss performing with him. Uh, but you know, him from the dead eyes podcast and as George Lucas on the George Lucas talk show, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the pod. Connor Ratliff. Hello. Connor. Thank you for coming. So exciting. I'm so excited to be here talking about this movie, which I had not seen before. And what a delight. I, I was kind of shocked so, when you said that you hadn't seen it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I have a lot of gaps in my uh, cultural knowledge that are that are uh, often surprising to me. Because as I was watching, I thought I would have watched this if it had if if it had ever been on TV at a moment when I happened to be passing by. But uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's exactly what I would have loved to watch. But I never, I never did. And I think there's yeah. also there's a bunch of things from that era that maybe I was just uh, more of a snob than I realized as a kid because I don't think I saw the original Battlestar Galactica. Uh, I right. don't think I saw like Battle Beyond the Star, like a lot of the like Star Wars 
ripoffs. Yeah, mm-hmm. black hole. Yeah, I, I I did see the black hole because that maybe maybe the Disney. Uh, I, I think I got sucked in from the other side where I'm like, well, it's Disney, so right. right. You know. <laughs> um, well, it is. I mean, that is the fun part because it's like you are both like uh, you're. I, you are a completist in a lot of ways, from what I say, of like seeing things, like which is fantastic. Yeah, I'm a I'm a completist, although I also am a quitter. You know, so I'm a complicated <laughs> yeah. person. There are things I'll give I, up on. I love quitting. Con- yeah. I love quitting on media. I do like I really, as I've gotten older too, I truly love just being like, this will be done, and it was burned from my pop culture life. Yeah. Like I, I realized a long time ago that I, I was a big Star Wars fan, but that I mostly like the I liked the movies and the TV things, and I wasn't gonna get into the books or the video games. Like there were certain things where I'm like, there's too much, there's too much. If I get into that, that'll be the rest of my life. It will we'll yeah. just be absorbing all that. Yeah. Uh, and I appreciate again. I appreciate that so much. I mean, because like at one, I was a snob from a very early age, uh, and now you just you slowly just age into just being a snob. But like you know, pretty early on, I was pulling the like, oh, SCTV is uh, much more interesting than SNL, <laughs> right. like sort of idiocy. But uh, uh, kind of the same. I remember getting, I remember being in a Star Wars as a kid and getting that. I can't remember the title of it, but there was like the first time I felt like there was like a novel that was uh, uh, adding on to the universe that I noticed. And it was like whatever one where it's like they had twin kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And all my friends were reading in grade school. And I just remember even that, like, be, kind of having that feeling that you had. It was just like, I can't. It's just like it feels overwhelming. Weirdly, I remember when those books came out because they were they were specifically like an admission that the the final three films were never going to be made. They were mm-hmm. sort of like, this is official. This has the Lucas blessing uh, for right. these. And there was a part of me that just thought, you know, I'm not giving up. Yeah. Like, to me, it felt like if I read those books, it was giving up on the idea that there could be more movies that took place after. <laughs> yes. uh, and, and, and I was right not to give up because eventually there would be movies that take place mm-hmm. after. And I'm, you know what? I'm fine with them. I enjoyed watching them. Right. Yeah. And, and Sorry, and sure... sorry everyone who's mad <laughs> doesn't like them, but I had fun. <laughs> and I'm sure as you felt too, you were like, I was like, look, I got the made for TV Ewok movies. Like, yeah. and I got those on VHS and I'm watching those over and over again. Well, like, now I'm on good Disney with Plus. Those, which yes. I'm very excited about because... <laughs> My son found my 45 uh, of that, the first one, the one with uh, with the young girl without Wilford Brimley. Mm-hmm. Um, and, Car- Caravan and he, of Courage. Caravan of Courage. And he, he reads along and was playing it a lot until he decided to rub the record on a concrete ground. And then I was like, now you learned why you can't touch daddy's final. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's also, I, 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 it occurred to me when I, I rewatched them on Disney+. Plus. And uh, and I'll admit it was a casual rewatch. I had other things going on. I was just sort of had them on. Um, but it occurred to me that you know the second movie. Uh, I'm going to spoil the beginning of the battle for Endor. The the second the first movie is all about like her, you know uh, Sindel and her family, and then the second movie begins with everyone else in her family getting killed. And right. there's a scene where her dad's about to get killed by these monsters and he's telling Sindel like go run like don't look back and they're like sort of saying goodbye and I'm like this feels so familiar 
And I realized, <laughs> oh, where have we seen a little kid in Star Wars being told don't look back by their parent? And it's like, oh, yeah. Anakin, young Anakin and Phantom Menace. It's it's crazy to think about because everyone's like, why are we seeing this Star Wars movie about a little kid when the Phantom Menace right. came out? Like, why are we doing this? And I'm like, the previous two Star Wars movies are about a little kid. <laughs> Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. So the Ewok movies sort of prepare you. There's a trilogy that's buried within these Star Wars movies of just (laughs) little kid Star Wars movies. Yeah. Yeah. And they hit a lot of the same beats, you know? And if they had just worked in that one of the kids is angry all the time and gets a rock and throws it away, and then there's a little arrowhead that shows you directions. Yes. Then it would have been exactly like the Ewok movie. <laughs> I do think, I do think, and I this is this is probably the closest I'll come to a, a hard criticism of the Disney Star Wars movies. I do think the biggest missed opportunity was the fan theory that Captain Phasma was Sindel from the Ewok movies, grown up and gone to the dark side. Oh because crap. I still want to believe it's true just because yeah, you think yeah. like we didn't really find out that much about the character. So I'm like, oh, wow, we saw this. You know, it's sort of like a pattern of little kids growing up and then being these metallic villains. Yeah. Right. Bad. Yeah. I would love if there was more connections to the Ewok because those were like weirdly like out of all the Star Wars movies, those stuck with me weirdly the most. But because I did have a like it was in my like pile of 10 to 20 VHS that I taped off of when they originally played and watched over and over and over again. I think they're really important. They're a really healthy part of the Star Wars canon because the they were fun. But the lesson they really taught me was that. You know what? This is Star Wars too. It's like a, it's like Star Wars with almost no budget. Yeah, um, right. It's a TV budget. It's there's animals in it that are just like regular Earth animals, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and they're and it's sort of like one of the funniest things about the original Star Wars trilogy to me is that the first one's like desert, and the second one's like snow. And the third one's just like, hey, let's just film this out back, and they just sort of like, like let's just go over in the woods. What if there's a woods planet? It's just yeah. trees. And then that gets further expanded to making these made-for-TV movies that have less money. So it's just yeah. like there's earth animals, and it's just in the forest. <laughs> and it kind of felt like you could make your own Star Wars. I remember playing with Star Wars things like Near the Woods and thinking like, hey, this is cool. It's kind of like it's kind of like the real thing because there's these yeah. trees, you know? <laughs> you could bring your Ewok playset into the woods and just be like, tree, tree. Yeah. yeah. But it's uh, so, much it's, like Moss Man and He Man, uh, yeah. <laughs> which I was always excited to play with Moss Man until once his camouflage was so fucking damn good that I lost him in the woods for oh. like three years. Got to say though, his scent was still there when I got it. Like, Mine was, was like, all That's... funky from uh, the tub. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was your Barbie doll. Yeah. Ugh, I really, it really was when I had a kid. I was just like, one of the main things I don't want is weird action figures in the tub because they get so they make me nauseous. Yeah. in a weird mm-hmm. way. Yeah. Um. So, kind of something we always kind of talk about. And we've talked about even right now, just like a little bit. But like, so growing up. Yeah. Like, what was your relationship with movies, and or did you have any relationship with canon films? Um, I think like canon. Was once we had a VCR, um, it just became one of those things that I was, you know, whether it was like TriStar or, you know, the, like or mm-hmm. there were certain like film logos at the, at the beginning where I'd be like, oh, interesting. But I right. don't know that I made like 
a lot of connections with it as like, oh, this is a canon film, therefore that means this. You right. know, like, I don't know that I ever developed um, an emotional uh, connection. Like, like the way I would later with things where I'd be like, oh, you know, New Line Films is different than Fine Line. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. where you'd yes. start to realize, like, there's a brand uh, uh, associated. I'm trying to think what would be the canon film that I would be the most, I would have the most... Um, Masters of the Universe? Yeah. I never saw Masters of the wow. Universe. Breaking? <laughs> I never saw Breaking. You know, I, I maybe. I mean, yeah, if you were ever an action guy, then obviously, like the Bronsons or the Norse or the couple JCVDs, Stallones. Um, uh, but I mean, Super... that's the beauty. Is like, or it could have been like a Cassavetes film. <laughs> yeah, which Cass? Yeah, I love streams. I didn't see until I was a little bit older. Yeah. Um, I mean, I saw Superman: The Quest for Peace in the theater. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I remember questioning whether you, if you threw all the nuclear weapons on earth into the sun, I remember thinking (laughs) that would be a mistake. Like just leave, leave them in space. Maybe like I kind of felt, felt, I don't know. I still don't really know what would happen because I feel like it would, the sun's so big, it would probably be a very minor event, even if it was all the nukes. But I just remember thinking like, wait a second, like, don't do that. Like your planet blew up. Like, don't don't mess with this. Just leave them floating somewhere or like, <laughs> I never considered that. until you just said that, that yeah. he comes from a blown up planet and he should have had at least one moment of being like, wait a second. He did it like, so maybe fast. I should check like, with a scientist on this. He did it in such a way that it made me feel like he knew something and they didn't tell us how he right. knew. Cause I remember thinking like, no, 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 wait, wait, that's a bad idea. Don't, <laughs> right. don't do that. Novelization, um, probably there's a whole chapter where he's explaining the science of how it's going to work out. Like, yeah. <laughs> we all are like, okay, sure. I mean, it did turn out to be a bad idea because that's how Nuclear Man was born. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Again, yeah. he should have talked to a fucking scientist. Right. Just because you're Superman doesn't mean that your brain works super strong. Like, you know. That would be a great yeah. line of dialogue for someone to say to Superman. Just because you're Superman doesn't mean your brain is super strong. (laughs) That seems like that would be in the Snyder Cut for sure, right? Definitely. I mean, that he's also becomes like a QAnon truther or something. (laughs) Like, you're just like, Superman, come on. Like, not everything makes sense to you. Uh, (laughs) uh, Yeah, I mean, that that answer, I mean, is a, a, a... kind of come like it makes sense kind of because it's like i think even for me and frank like we never completely recognized but it's like all of a sudden that's one of the reasons we did it's like we got older and we're like wait a second like 75 percent of the movies we watched because the numbers of what canon could produce were insanely high uh uh and i think it also what i'm realizing in terms of star crash it's one of the reasons that we'll get into it, our catchphrase, why this is a could have been a canon. But also, as a kid, because I did have a snobbiness, I didn't... We've talked to... I think who made the statement that it was, like, cheap, not low budget? Or did we come up with it? I can't remember, I can't remember. where that came... Yeah, but, like, it's that concept of, like, Star Crash ends up being cheap, not low budget, which is even as a kid, I was like always like, oh, Corman movies aren't my number one. Like I'll like deal with them, right? But at the very least, like Canon always was like, well, this is low budget, but there's something there uh, versus just cheap. I'll tell you a Canon film that I definitely saw was Five Corners. This is a classy one. Ooh. Oh, uh, that's yeah. a, a, a John Patrick Shanley, I think. Um, yeah, 
uh, with with uh, Tim Robbins and John Turturro. Oh wow. yeah. Yeah, um, you got hoity-toity with that kid. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's... A, it's very. Yeah, it, it, it is. <laughs> this is like the 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 fancy kid in the in the middle of all these titles. <laughs> uh, but that is again the beauty of canon. You'll be like, oh, canon. Uh, they just do Jean Claude Van Damme. You're like, have you seen these Frankenheimer films that they've done? <laughs> like a Godard film. Uh, it's such an odd production company, which is why we're so enamored with it too. <laughs> yeah, the yeah, I. I rented, I think at one point, maybe when I was in college, I think I rented the Godard King Lear. Um, and I could not make heads or tails of it. <laughs> I, I g- genuinely, like, I just was like, I don't know what I'm watching. Um, right. I, I did not enjoy it, nor did I appreciate it. I resented, <laughs> I read things about it that were intriguing. And then I remember feeling like I had wasted one of a finite opportunities to rent something from this really good um, video store in this college town. When I started renting movies from them, you make the mistake with, I made this mistake as well with um, Kim's video when I moved to New York City was that I would go and rent, I would go and I'd browse and it would take hours for me to decide what I'm going to rent. And I would always end up renting something terrible that was rare. Like I remember renting, um, the Bob Dylan um, Eat the Document, his unreleased uh, <laughs> right. documentary. One time I rented the Beatles cartoons. And then I get home and I'm like, I don't want to watch the Beatles cartoons. <laughs> like, yeah. But I was just renting. I rem- I think I rem- rented The Brave, that movie that Johnny Depp directed that was not released because it was so bad okay. with Marlon Brando. <laughs> right. And and um, I did all I did find, though, looking through this, the George Lucas um connection to canon films do you know what it is i don't think we knew that i i well this is my this is what i've trained for by doing the george lucas talk show is i'm all (laughs) the game of the show very often is trying to find the link to george lucas on anything right the second in the uh in the katsi trilogy after koyanos katsi pawakatsi was a canon film and it was produced by george lucas oh Um, so it's the jeff godfrey reggio um sequel with the philip glass music right um, you know i was that's one i keep seeing the name and being like is that a sequel and i'm glad now you've done the research for it's us a, it's, a, it's a it's a rare um overlap between the canon films and the criterion collection <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right like runaway that train yeah. like yeah. runaway train They're, they exist I, yeah man i love though uh connor like that idea like we've talked before about uh like you know I think, like, currently, and it makes sense, there's a mythologizing of the the video store. And, like, I'm excited to go look into video stores when we can. Uh, I'm excited for Vidiot's opening. And we've talked about how you can get the bad rental, but it's just like a shitty action movie. But there is a legitimacy to the Kim's equivalent of the bad rental. The, yeah. the In my case, it was Mad Mike Super Video where they had a cult section and then it's that moment when you're like, maybe it's kind of unreleased for a reason. <laughs> like now, especially in an age where we can get everything, yeah. Yeah. sometimes it wasn't just a business decision. Sometimes it was like, yeah, it wasn't gonna be the best thing ever. <laughs> yeah, you find yourself the the exhilaration of finding something that's hard to find, and then realizing the reason it's buried is because it's garbage. <laughs> yeah, 
it's a yeah. it's a plus and a minus that we have access to everything because there was somewhat of a joy in finding that and the, the thrill of the hunt of like finally finding this movie that wasn't released or what yeah. have you. And now you can get it. You can kind of though burn through a little bit quicker. And and especially I think as we're older and we've got more and more mortality minutes that we're counting off when we're thinking about watching shit, mm-hmm. it'll be like, yeah, I don't need to spend two hours doing that. <laughs> yeah. And, and also sometimes the idea of something is so exciting like oh i'd love to see this mm-hmm. and then when you see it like i remember for one of my favorite films is broadcast news right and yeah. i remember hearing that there was an alternate ending to it and so i was so excited when eventually i got to see the alternate ending and the alternate ending is just bad it's just a very yeah. bad scene right. it's not fun like it's i'm glad i saw it but i got more joy out of the idea of it than i actually did of the three minutes that I spent watching it where I was kind of like, huh, well, I'm glad <laughs> right. it didn't end this way. Right. Um, yeah. That- I think that we can mythologize in our brains of what it could be. And to me, like one of my number ones is like, I love that Jodorowsky Dune documentary. Mm-hmm. Like it has so many, like what could have been. And in my mind, I was like the like immediately left and was like that would have been the greatest thing ever. It literally has everything I could want. It's Dune. I love Dune more than anything. It has magma. Like magma's one of my favorite bands. And then I think like my even might have been my wife was just like it also could have just been bad. Like it yeah. like that's all a concept. <laughs> like yeah. and you're like yeah. There it's are also, parts of El Topo that are amazing <laughs> and parts of El Topo that are like what are we doing with our lives well, here? Sorry, go ahead, Connor. No, no. It's also something I, uh, one of the few pieces of of experiential sort of wisdom that I feel I have to pass on is make sure to enjoy, like when you see a trailer for a movie and you're excited about the movie, really like give yourself the moment to enjoy that because you might not like the movie and it's still okay. Like I still think of my experience seeing the trailer for The Phantom Menace. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I that to me was everything I needed from the a new Star Wars movie was just that feeling of oh it's going to be great. Right. And when the movie came out and it wasn't, I I was not that disappointed because I already kind of got the feeling like I remember when the and now it's something that's not as rare a thing, so it's maybe hard to relate to, but I remember hearing the fanfare when Phantom Menace started and I legitimately thought no matter what happens in the rest of the movie, I just got everything I needed from just the feeling of like, <gasps> I'm going to see, you right. know, like, and that is not, uh, a, that's not a thing without value for me is that hope and that anticipation is often better than the actual thing. And that's okay. Yeah. And like in appreciating almost any moment you can get out of something, like it's like the equivalent of like, if 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 we all were like, Oh, that entire album is bad, but mm-hmm. I love this one song. But the ball, it's just like, but you got the song. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. like you're good. Like, even honestly, it was legitimately yesterday, I had a thought in that vein because they released a trailer for like a new Mads Mikkelsen movie. Mm-hmm. And I was like, immediately, I was like, oh, this might be one we have to immediately do as it could have been a candidate. It's like, a foreign film, but it's like this action kick-ass movie about Mads coming back and his, he was like an uh, army veteran and his wife or his, uh, yeah, his wife has been killed. And so he meets up, he realizes it's a terrorist from these biker gags and it's just the trailer is just him 
kicking ass, like looking cool with a beard. And I got giddy. Like I ran out to go to my wife who was middle of working to be like, there's a new movie. And I sent it to our buddy, John Murray immediately. And was just like, look at this. This is going to be great. Like we were just talking about Mads and like, the movie, there was a moment in the trailer where I was like, oh, I think it might be goofy at one point. I think I might not be into it, but enjoy this. Like, yeah. enjoy. the. It's exciting to still. I think that's the thing. It's like, I, I think that's a great point to bring up because it's like, especially as I think as you get older, it's good to remember that you could be excited about shit. And and don't cancel out the fun you had looking forward to. Because I think sometimes that's what happens is the movie comes out and they're like, ah, they ruined it. Yeah. And it's like, no, I, I don't feel like I was duped. I feel like they made a really good trailer, which is mm-hmm. hard to do. It's not, you know, like yeah, uh, uh, it is its own little short film to me. Yeah. And don't let don't let the um the disappointment of the thing itself when it arrives, like make you cash out all the memories uh, that you had of looking forward to it. Exactly. That's just the movie going experience for me. Like I love going to the movies and I know even if a movie is probably not going to be great, like before the pandemic hit, uh, this place that was near my old place, uh, did like $5 Tuesdays. So I'd have a, I'd have a day off and I'd see like two movies back to back for 10 bucks and it's like, well, yeah, whatever movie, I, I'll go see uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. I'll go see whatever. Right. But the, the, the whole thing to me was like, this is fun. I'm enjoying yeah. this. You know, like it's cheap and it's fun. Just the movie going experience in general is just uh, has always been great for me and my family. So it's just like just even if the movie sucks, you're like, well, the experience was great. When yeah. Movie Pass worked, that was the most fun part. I was like, it didn't matter what the fuck I was watching. Like, I was like, just the fact that I was like, fuck it. It's like I didn't pay for The Gambler. Like, it's like I didn't pay for, well, I could list off every, like, the amount of, like, good movies, quote unquote, I saw with Movie Pass is much lower than just garbage I saw that I was like, well, I'm going to watch it eventually. No. And I'm doing this in between teaching a class. Like, <laughs> like, yeah. and I get to have some weird experience with it. Speaking of weird experiences, <laughs> I think that's my wonderful segue. It's yeah. a, we should start talking about our movie today, which, as we said at the beginning, is Star Crash. And... Before we get into it, Frank, we should get some stats, if there are many, Yep. <laughs> Star Crash. Uh, well, uh, yeah. Uh, so, Star Crash, uh, a.k.a. The Adventures of Stella Star, a.k.a. Female Space Invaders. Ooh. <laughs> That's uh, Yugoslavia. Um, okay, that makes sense. So, it, there's two dates that says it was released. Uh, I think maybe in... Um, uh, I, I think in in Italy, I think it was December twenty first, nineteen seventy eight. Right. But in uh, U.S., it says March 9th, nineteen seventy nine. Okay. Budget was four million. This was released by New World Pictures. Okay. And directed by Roger Corman, or not directed by Roger Corman, because it's actually directed by, by Luigi Cazzi, aka Luigi Cazzi, Louis Coates, um, <laughs> we, who we've Frank, uh, covered who his knew? movies. What? Who knew? Yeah, who knew that we would go in and watch so many Luigi Cozzi movies? Yeah, like how could between the two of us, we've seen thousands of Italian films. Yeah, and and I've always known him as the Dario Argento protege, 
And I did not ever really expect to watch as many Luigi Cozy movies and to start to really understand his thing. I think this is our third or fourth one now. We're up there, and we're going to have more. That's yeah, we're the crazy have a, part. But, more uh, Lewis Coates. We are Lewis Coates fanatics. Yeah. The last one was Contamination, That we, the episode we did with James Third, uh, and that was yep. the last. Um, yes. And, and, and Connor, if you're into kind of like ripoffs, quote unquote. Yeah. Uh, contamination is like an alien ripoff, but like with zero budget and they're keeping it all on the ground and it's just completely just like, <laughs> what are these choices? Yes. Um, yeah. but yeah, so Roger Corman produced, you know, I, I have a soft spot for Roger Corman and his movies. So, uh, we'll get into that. I have that, a soft but... spot for Roger talking more than sometimes I think his movies. I think he's yeah. such a charm. I you know what that. I mean? Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at, I'm looking at Luigi's filmography and I'm fascinated. Have you seen The Tunnel Under the World? No. Not sure I have. The synopsis is, is from 1969. It's one hour and ten minutes. And, mm-hmm. um, and I was not expecting this synopsis. An ordinary man <laughs> in a small town one day realizes that he is living the same day over and over again. Yeah. Huh. I mean that's the 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 be- one of the yeah. beauties and I'll try my best on this to not go down my Italian genre film holes that I sometimes <laughs> go in with Italian films. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's like you can especially Italian film directors that period just like a can it like you'll do piles and piles of different genre and do so yeah. many movies and just be like, "Oh, you did this style of movie? Oh, yeah. this, this that's this, more intriguing than I thought it would be." This was based on a, a Frederick Pohl story. Um, but I just wasn't expecting that this, looking at the, at the poster and the title and everything, I would not have predicted, oh, this is Groundhog Day. This is his first movie. It was Groundhog right. Day. What an amazing it's, career of, uh, I'm looking at all of these films. It, it's just, if you put all these posters up, uh, in one house, what a crazy house that would be. Yeah. I yeah. only have one Luigi poster on my wall. Uh, but that's the crazy part. I have at least one poster on my wall of Four Flies on Grey Velvet, uh, that he helped write. Um. He's an amazing. He's an amazingly odd career, yeah. <laughs> as we keep seeing. Um, so the budget on this was four million. Yeah, it didn't said? have a. It didn't have a. Um, I I forgot to put down because on Box Office Mojo, and because it was like either seventy eight or seventy nine. It like at that period in Box Office Mojo only like lists like maybe ten or twelve movies, right? Um, and this one I. Didn't see any kind of uh, gross for it or if it even charted or anything. This one might be slightly wrong. I thought I I don't remember where I got it, but I stumbled upon and we might have to correct it later. But I think I thought I saw a U.S. gross of four hundred and seventy thousand. Okay. Stumbled about, but again, like that is probably an unverified source because I will also say I don't trust some of the facts I even found on this movie. Yeah, there are a couple um, that are like a little like suspect, but yeah, especially we'll get... ones around Joe Spinell, but we'll get into it. <laughs> yeah, I don't trust any of the IMDb trivia on this movie. <laughs> no, yeah. well, because especially as you get in these lower, lower budget ones, there'll be like trivia that are just opinions, too. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, what were the what were the films this year? Um, Do you have those? I did not. I did not have those. Uh, but like, because it would be like I said, because it uh, fluctuated between seventy eight and seventy nine. So oh, right, 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 right. Know. I mean, what are films this year? Are Star Wars like that are happening around this time? Right. Yes, seventy seven. <laughs> right. 
I believe so. Fre- uh, G- G- Connor would know that, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Uh, came yeah. out in 77 and then was re-released in 78. That's when I saw it. I was three. Mm-hmm. Um, it's amazing how fast they got this out. You know, like, I know that I had read one thing saying that, that it was already in the works before Star Wars came out. Right. Uh, but I don't know whether to trust that or not because I don't. you never know how much... With also, there's so much showmanship to selling a low-budget film like this that I often don't trust the hype that the filmmakers are, you know, like... Yeah. That almost feels like something that a sensitive uh, filmmaker might say. Like, oh, no, we already had designed this before because you don't want to look like you're stealing, you know? Yeah. Every fact about it is defensive. Well... Every fact is, like, the producer was like, we want to do Star Wars, and then... Lewis Coates, a.k.a. Luigi, is like, no, I don't even know Star Wars, but I own a novelization exactly. <laughs> that I'm going to read. Um, yeah. But it does fit into the Italian thing, like the Italian thing we've talked about, where it's like, it, I don't know if you know, like it, the thing with Italian film around that time is like their copyright laws are so loose. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they make just like hundreds of everything. That's why they're like, 80 Django films um, and they will just that's why contamination exists it's just like there's no one really fighting uh, intellectual property in the 70s there uh, yeah. so you will get just piles and piles of ripoffs that you have to weed through uh, but this one uh, popped out because Corman picked up on it and then you know it does have a cast that is very fun uh, mm-hmm. and everyone behind it is very fun and how all the pieces work together is Amazing. <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot of, I mean, the one of the things that struck me almost immediately is, and I wonder what level of awareness the people who were making, who were, you know, working to make the next Star Wars movie, how attuned any of them were to uh, copycats coming out. Because right. almost immediately, one of the first places they say they're going to go in the movie is a planet that's just ice and snow. Right. And this is before Empire Strikes Back, which opens with their, you know, they're going to start out with an ice and snow planet. Yeah. And you have to wonder, like, how much of that, like, part, my initial thought is, oh, I wonder if they heard something. And they're like, let's get our ice and snow thing out of the way. <laughs> right. Or if it's just that there's a finite number of climates, so it makes sense. You have desert. Let's do the opposite. Um, that it's an, a, a logical parallel thinking kind of next step. Like, we don't want right. to be quite... Quite like in some ways, they might have been doing it to look like they're not ripping off Star Wars. That's like, well, that's all desert stuff. We're gonna do snow stuff, right? You know, and it does mix. It is. It's like anytime I play a Mario game, and you're like, well, we're eventually we're gonna do desert, and we're going to do snow. <laughs> like it's just <laughs> these are the standards: fire and ice. But yeah, no, I agree. Like I like had to like double check myself in my notes because i was like "Ugh, hoth ripoff and i was like wait a second <laughs> like right. not because i was like why are you over explaining the rules of this planet uh as they are wont to do in this movie again where it starts to feel like a candid film they're over explaining stuff that they don't need to over explain and then other things they're not explaining at all um but yeah it was shocking when there was and i was like okay i would love to really this is one where the whole time i was like i'd really love to know the truth like, usually you just go with it, but I really would love to know the truth of how 
things came about with this movie because everyone's lying to keep face a little bit. Yeah. As also, I should probably say, we've said it enough, but it's we're about, you know, the usual half hour, 40 minutes in where we never <laughs> even mention what the movie uh, kind of basic plot is. Uh, but what it is basically is kind of a Star wars e plot. Like, no. I'm not even going to give much of a summary. It's like, I got confused slightly on the plot. Uh, I... Oh what was going on it's a hodgepodge of scenes i don't even know if there really is a plot that's the thing i don't think there is like i mean there's like a thing they're doing for christopher Plummer, kind of but unclear like i kind of forgot why they were going to different planets and then they it's a little bit like uh i can't remember what movie we just oh uh, with uh thunder alley where it's like the benchmark kind of moves around right like the end line is like moved where it's like well this hero's quest gets confusing if you don't just have one hero's quest <laughs> like if you keep wrapping it up every like 30 minutes right. moving on to a new hero's quest and never enough yeah. time to develop or spend time with characters where you're like oh that's basically their thing like I mean, you you get a you get a sense of it. It's like an elevator pitch on each character. We we're right. like, great! I'd love to hear and see more about them, or like what what their deal is, or what their point of view or behavior is. And then you're like, I guess like the closest you come to where you you can expect that pattern of behavior is the the weird um, southern robot, you know. <laughs> Which L. took a while to L to understand, like where I was like, oh, this is what his thing is going to be. Yeah, like he's he's. I was like, okay, he's really southern. That's well, his, something. It, it it's kind of it goes. It's like a English person doing a, a southern accent. At the uh, when you, you don't first... think that that was a good accent there, Frank? What? Well, <laughs> when it begins, but then like. Later in the movie, where sometimes there's an echo in his voice and sometimes they're not, there's not. But then, like as the movie goes on, his accent gets thicker and thicker. Yeah. Where all of a he sudden starts... he's even doing like these like kind of sayings like "Holy cow!" like a <laughs> like a skunk on a cactus, you know, like a poke head on on a hot tin roof. And you're like, what? <laughs> Got a chicken coop on a tar building. Wait, what are we even <laughs> putting words together here? Um, yeah, I was like. So that was the hard part. I mean, this is something that goes along with, like, if you are uh, doing a ripoff of something, uh, ostensibly, uh, it's hard to not immediately, and because they weren't giving us the information on kind of who people were until sometimes 40 minutes into the movie, Right. I was doing a lot of piecing together of like, okay, so I guess this guy's like Han Solo. That would Wait, be Hasselhoff. No. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. Like, when Hasselhoff showed up, I was like, I guess he's Han Solo. As yeah. I thought, I, what, a, a, Acton? Acon? A, Acton? I thought at first, I was like, okay, Acton's going to be Han Solo. He's our main character. I didn't he's realize Caroline Monroe was the main actor. Acton's um, the, the blonde, curly hair guy? Yeah. Yeah. In a Who, weird yeah. way, in a weird way... Because they sort of like move things around a little bit. Not, nothing's one to one with Star Wars. It's always a little bit bent. In some ways, I'm like, he's kind of our Luke, but he's also our 3PO, sort yeah. of. Right. He has kind of more of a 3PO vibe emotionally. And um, that's what I thought L was going to be the 3PO. Because I guess like his nervousness, which is essentially Marvin the paranoid <laughs> android. Well, yeah. also, L sounds, I think, almost identical to Zeke on Bob's Burgers. Yeah. 
Like everything's sort of like, hey, yeah. hey, he's sort of like hanging out and like, here I go. Oh, I'm scared now. Everything's sort of uh, like you could. Let's wrestle. Yeah. Yeah. Let, yeah. Like, um, just like, oh, you're good at dancing. Oh, let's get off this beach. Everything's sort of in that same tone. And it's probably, <laughs> I think he's probably the most fun aspect of the movie to yes. me because it's like, the idea, I, it occurred to me that I'm like, oh, what's funny about C-3PO is that he just behaves like a person, but has occasional robot specifics. Yeah. <laughs> right. But he's just like a sort of snooty butler. Um, and this guy is just like, oh, it's great that like he's a robot, but they didn't put that much thought into it. It's just like he behaves just like he's like a small town sheriff. Who's like riding along, you know? <laughs> right. And he'll say things that are just like, I'm scared. You know, like, um, <laughs> there's very, there's occasional glancing references to him being a robot. But, and I'm like, that is a very Star Wars thing. But they don't think too much about anything. At least at that point. That was, in some ways, this movie is a pretty good distillation of what is fun about the sloppy aspects of early star wars mm-hmm. yeah the the, well, the idea that they would like i remember being a kid and watching empire strikes back and han solo called um there were a couple of things one was the part where he says i'll see you in hell and i'm like oh mm-hmm. heaven and hell are concepts in this <laughs> world right and then he called c3po goldenrod and i'm like oh that's an indication that like some of the like flora in you know like it was things that i was like i was reading too much but i always like found some comfort in that and what i realized later is it's oh they're just being sloppy that's just sloppy you know right and this movie is all sloppy it's all <laughs> things like it's all there's so much dialogue in this that in a really good way feels like it's placeholder dialogue. Yes. Yeah. A lot of first drafts. A lot a of lot- first, where it, all the names are very much the same way I felt it's in a different realm. It's like obviously fantasy, but I remember like one of my first big beasts was watching The Lady in the Water by M Night was mm-hmm. that I was like all of these names feel like the ones when you're making fun of what names are in a fantasy thing. <laughs> And, like, every single name and planet in this movie is, like, all the ones where I'm like, I don't know. And then you're doing a parody of Star Wars, and it's, like, Zebulon 5 and Krakton. <laughs> like, yeah, and, and and what is the name of the weapon that the Duke or whoever has, the evil lord? Oh, what's, oh the it's Doom. The, the Death Star, basically. The yeah, Doom, it's, it's the not Doom. Death Star. It's the Doom weapon or something. It's the, yeah. Doom, the, but the it was Doom Machine. The Doom Machine. So it really was just, like... Um, like a lot of stuff where it's just like, well, we can't call it the the apple tree, so we'll call it the orange bush. You know, where they're just <laughs> right. like going one step to the side. I remember there's <laughs> one line when the when who's the guy with the the bald guy who betrays Thor. him? What's that? Thor. Thor. Which yeah, we called him Thor. Um, <laughs> the uh. <laughs> there's just some part of that that's just like, oh, it's a Marvel character, but it's also a Greek god, so you can't own it. We're gonna it's, call it yeah, Thor, yeah, exactly. You know, um, but the when he's shooting at Acton, Acton, um, he's <laughs> shooting at him, and then the the death rays are glancing off of him, and he says, 
how, how can no one can survive these death rays? And then he turns the death rays around and goes, and now these death rays will be the death of you. (laughs) (laughs) And I just thought like, this is the kind of dialogue that I made up with toys when I was five. And it was just like, now I, now you are going to die. And (laughs) and like, like, like the, the best part of Spaceballs when, when Dark Helmet is playing with the action figures, a lot of the dialogue in this movie feels like that. (laughs) Like, like if you told me, and I think actually that would be a fun way to write a movie is just to give some people some action figures, have them play with them, record everything and then be like, all right, now let's get the actors in here. We're going to block, we're going to block these scenes. It would be great to get, like, especially if you got a, a room full of kids, a bunch of toys, and then you just filmed it all, and you're like, we're going to stage whatever they play, we're going to cast actors, we're going to have this be the script. Right. And we're going to give yeah. it a real budget. We're going to, like, really make it happen. Connor, you have to take ownership of this right now. You have right to, now. like, yeah. say, Trademark. this is my idea. Trademark. If anyone does this, I will I mailed see it to you myself. in court. Yeah, you are yes. currently writing a letter to yourself of I'm this ma- idea. I am mailing the audio of this podcast to my Dropbox, <laughs> and I am uh, digitally timestamping it. <laughs> well, because it is, like, it is what you said. Like, a lot of it, it's obviously, there's a lot of Star Wars, but it does, like, sometimes, like, feel more like old school cereal, mm-hmm. like, and it feels like the, the, obviously the Ray Harryhausen is in there, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it does have a Flash Gordon-y vibe to it, like, uh, uh, in, again, more of a cereal way, like, even the way the Emperor looks, like, looks like the kind of, it's less Darth Vader bad guy, it's just more of a, he's got a kooky hair, and he's got, like, big lapels, basically. Yeah. <laughs> And that's another thing that it's the emperor, and this is this is before Star Wars has had a chance to claim that. It's the little, emperor, but maybe also they're stealing from the same things that yes, they're borrowing Lucas from the saw, same sources. You know? Yeah, and yeah, well, it also just points out that the emperor is just a vague generic title yeah. that they like exactly. own in a particularly hard way. Whenever they they like emphasize it so much that it feels like a Star Wars concept where it's it's just the king. It's just a right. better sounding. It, it would yeah. sound dumb in a space movie for <laughs> right. like the king. The king of space. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the king of space. Uh, it Which does is more, also... that is more how Christopher Plummer, he plays him like the king of space. Yeah. He does. Like, like Chris, a Shakespearean. So... He's like very invested, but apparently he just wanted the 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 vacation. <laughs> he just wanted to visit Rome. So he was like, yeah, why? fuck it. Why not? And he got to. He said he would do a porno if it meant he could go visit Rome, which yeah. I was like, great summary of the. I mean, he worked he for like one it. day. I think the crazy part is like he does like it it shows that he was there for the check because he's Christopher Plummerin. He's great. But yeah. he also like a lot of people are Christopher Walkening in this because I'm like he definitely is just looking at his lines on a card. <laughs> like and is like taking crazy pauses, but because I think he's just like zoning out a little he's just doing his like shakespearean pauses but sometimes i think he's just like that's not where the break should be i think you just are like fuck it man i'm getting through this one take tony it's there's always something funny about any time that a you know any production and this happens at lots of different levels it happens even with prestige productions that they only get someone for a certain amount of time and that's the deal or whatever but i in this reading this that he got ten thousand dollars per day and I think they only did the one day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and, exactly. And you can really feel it. Like it really, um, 
it's not that he's in any way bad, but it definitely feels like he's just popping in. Uh, he's yeah. thinking about getting that Cacio de Pepe dish at the, his favorite <laughs> restaurant. And he's like, I gotta get the fuck out of here. They're going to sell out. Like, I want to go to the Riviera. Like, just like live it up. And I get it. Because he can still nail it. He can still kind of at least nail it. Even in Dick, it's like Oliver Reed and Gore. Yeah. Where like, he's hardly there. He's he's drinking the whole time. But yeah. he's still Oliver Reed. He's still, you're like, all right, you're always going to win with your personality. It's funny that they chose to end the movie. I'm jumping around here, obviously, Please now. Do. But yeah. it's the ending of the movie was very funny to me because they give him this little speech. <laughs> and the speech is sort of like, well, we solved that, didn't we? And now <laughs> I guess we're going to be able to enjoy uh, being at peace for a while. But and then it's just sort of like, might it's, be days of darkness. As I stare directly into the camera for one shot and then look away again. <laughs> like, even when he first appears as a hologram. Yeah. I was like, did they like I loved that the hologram walked away and then yeah. had a second thought. <laughs> it's like his back that's was like turned a, to them at the end of that. Yeah, he's a hologram with his back turned to them. <laughs> and so he can probably hardly even see that. But He's just like, oh, another thing. And you're just like, oh, man, I bet you they did not tell him to do that. But what are you going to tell Christopher Plummer? Again, he's like, I got to get the fuck out of here. That'd be amazing <laughs> like, if he added that. If he was like, <laughs> by the way, he's my son. <laughs> <laughs> again, Star yeah, Wars, fuck. they took it. They like, yeah. like again, I, I like I want to believe uh, that George Lucas saw this ripoff and he's like, "Oh, I'm gonna get some of this." And he's like, he's "Oh, these take are pretty it. good ideas." Yeah. yeah, I know how we can really stick it to those guys. They're gonna <laughs> steal from us. We'll steal from them. <laughs> I just like I think Christopher Plummer though is also just a great like. There's the cast of this is very odd. Like it's like so like the guy who plays Acton, who also is a Pathfinder. Like, that's another, like, it's almost like a hard sci-fi move, like reading a Philip K. Dick book where they, like, just, like, assume you'll catch up and just throw terms at you. But, like, all of a sudden, he's a Pathfinder. And before that, the whole time, you're like, what the fuck is Acton? Like, he's sucking in energy. He's lying to fucking the main woman about the things he can do. He can see into the future a little bit. And then also... But he... why why didn't you do this before, Acton? Well, if I told you the future, then it might be changed. So I couldn't do that because that's against the law. But I did it right now because, fuck it, I don't know. I'm he also acting. shows up way too late to any scene to save anybody. Yeah. And then he, has those, he can control space squiggles that may be electricity, but then he can also redirect ray energy. And, and he mm -hmm. can also make lightsabers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, which they literally call lightsabers in the, in the, uh, <laughs> the closed caption. I was like, oh. Okay. The crazy part about him is, so, like, that actor, have either of you ever seen the documentary Marjo? I was about to mention this. That's what his, so he, like, I first saw him, I hadn't seen Marjo, but I, I maybe you saw this, Frank, he's in a horror movie called Mausoleum, mm -hmm. which is on Shudder, and it's a totally weird horror film. And even in Mausoleum, I was like, who is this weird actor? <laughs> and then you look him up, and you're like, oh, he's Marjo the guy was a child evangelist and 
was like there's a documentary on him called Marjo, which is a pretty great watch where basically he was like a four year old evangelist would do the tent circuit of like Baptist hardcore evangelizing. And he like enamored the nation. His parents made him do it. And then this final documentary is him doing his essential final tour. And he has a film crew with him showing all of the tricks of being a televangelist. Like, it's like where I assume Leap of Faith got a lot of the, like, idea. It's basically, he's just like, yeah, you trick them into thinking this, so they'll give you money here. And it shows all the ins and outs and, like, how much money they're all making on these tent revivals. And he's basically like, I need money. I'm going to L.A. I'm going to really start my film career. And I'm going to just say, fuck it, get as much money as I can out of these people. He's like this fascinating man. And then ended up in Star Crash. (laughs) Like, and you're just like, okay. Like, totally weird choice, like, and it worked for him. But, like, it definitely, I I recommend to everyone watching Marjo because it's not only for just showing what bullshit televangelists are and evangelists, but uh, it adds a new layer to Star Crash the whole time (laughs) Um, that he's doing all these tricks. Yes. A piece of Marjo-connected IMDb trivia that I, I, I question because I, I don't I don't know uh, I don't find this anywhere else but it says in the US version Caroline Monroe's voice was dubbed by Candy Clark star of American graffiti and more American graffiti who was married to Marjo Gortner at the time and that married to him at the time is very precise because they were married in 1978 and divorced in 1979. So <laughs> they may have just, it may have just been a star crash marriage, you know, like during yeah. the time that, uh, a world, which is so set. romantic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, but I wonder if that's true that right. her, she's her voice is dubbed the main actor of the movie basically well it would be partly because like one it said cuz they just didn't have the budget for it, but it's also it's uh I've said it before another italian film like especially of genre film at that time it's just like the italian neorealism they most of the time didn't do on set audio Right. Because it was just too expensive. So they like that's why like every like Giallo film, you're just watching like dub upon dub. Right. Uh because they would just dub everything and partly because it would be like, uh, we've got a German actor, we've got an American actor, let's get everyone on the same page. So when you bring it to different territories, mm-hmm. you're gonna just do it like a different voice for everyone. Yeah. So like Americans have certain voices. That's why like Franco Nero has like a specific voice that is his dub voice that looks nothing like him. And almost is carried over to Enter the Ninja when you show up and you're like, what the fuck is this voice? Does not match his face. Uh, and that's the one where like I just like that's the one where I was like disputing it because in theory, Joe Spinell, who plays the the count, uh, is he also is great. Like he did like creative coaching or dialect coaching. And in theory, he says he dubbed his voice in a different voice because he has a very distinct New York accent. But it doesn't sound anything like him. And it really kind of drives me nuts. It sounds like, like I don't um, buy it. What's his name? Uh, Uncle Phil, when he did the Shredder voice for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles yes. cartoon. <laughs> it does. It totally does. And and that's the thing. Like, I also, I forgot he was in it because I am fascinated with Joe Spinell. Like, he has this, like, crazy career. Like, he's in Taxi Driver. He's in all the Scorsese movies. Uh, he shows up, he's Rocky's manager or the, like his, the bookie he works for and Rocky, like he lived in this world and like he, he 
also made this movie Maniac, which is this like totally fucked up movie and this totally kind of beautifully sad movie. He's like a kind of and and end up that Caroline Monroe and someone else's. I think the guy who played Thor show up in Maniac and in the last horror movie, which is a movie he did after that. But he's just this fascinating New York actor who was involved with probably hung out with George Lucas, honestly, if we're going to do a connection, because he was in that whole world. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, like, Joe, like, and then seeing him there, I was like, what the fuck is Joe Spinell doing here? Because, again, Maniac is such a fucked movie in the best way possible. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I think what what do you, uh, Connor, kind of from like the maybe not so much with the Star Wars lens, but overall like what do you what are some of your favorite elements of this movie like what do you think works uh in this movie or what what at least did you enjoy in this movie um well you're talking about i i liked i really liked the way it starts off with them getting caught i i like that i feel like that's an interesting thing that it starts off with i mean i guess to a certain extent that's similar to star wars because it starts off with the princess getting caught, but I like that our heroes get caught, get sent to prison, do a prison break, and then you think they're getting caught again, and it's just like, nope, you just been pardoned, and uh, <laughs> now you're going to be on a mission with us. And I thought that was like, an, I was immediately invested by that, just like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Like, so much happened in the first few <laughs> minutes of the movie. Right. In terms of reversals, in terms of like, we're already like switching sides, kind of. Like, it's yeah. almost, it almost felt like a little bit like it's like a suicide squad thing where it's like, yeah, uh, we're, recru- we're recruiting the criminals to be part of the, um, to do this mission. Um, another thing that I really, and, and the way it jumps all over the place, although I think eventually it started to make my attention wander, I, it, it, there, it was like, there's an element of like, oh, it's like um, like one of those, uh, like a Greek myth or something where you go here, you go there. They're sort of right. like on this like meandering journey. But I had that same thing of like, by the end, I'm like, wait, did we stop? the? I thought we won and then oh, now we're losing, now we're winning again. Like there was a lot of places where I realized, and it wasn't necessarily the the that the movie hadn't communicated this, but I felt like, it had the movie had made me stop paying attention, and then when I start paying attention again, I was a little lost, <laughs> yes. and um, and it just like felt like sometimes it felt a little rudderless. But I think that another thing that, and this is both a good and bad thing. Like when the the John Barry music started, when the music started before I saw that it was John Barry, I thought, oh, this is funny because. Clearly, it's supposed to almost be Star Wars, but don't be Star Wars. So I always think sound-alike stuff, sound-alike and look-alike stuff is always really funny whenever um, something is... uh, I love in a sound-alike thing when it gets right up to the border of, if you do one more note like this, your (laughs) lawyer's... Uh, uh, are going to be spring into action, you know? So when someone's doing a thing where it's like, dun, 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 (laughs) where kind of like they, they do a thing that's like, I think it's a really, it's a, it's funny because it's like someone walking up to 
the border that they're not supposed to cross. And they're just kind of, they're sort of like teasing in the security guard. Like I didn't, yeah. I didn't do it. I didn't press it or whatever, you know, or like I'm not <laughs> right. touching you and you're putting the finger right in the face. <laughs> That's what it sounds like to me. And so I'm looking, Oh, this is a really like good theme. Like this music is good. Yeah. And then there was a part later in the movie where I started thinking there were some themes that were repeating and I thought, I wonder if this is scored or if it just, I assume he just wrote some cues and they used them, right? They well, said, according to IMDb trivia, is this what you saw yeah. for, that they wouldn't yeah. show him the movie? <laughs> yeah, because uh, they were afraid he was going to back out after he saw it. So <laughs> yeah. they were just like, just write these themes and, you know, we'll, we'll use them. So, yeah, he got some general concepts of what he should be shooting for. And there are some places in the movie where I genuinely thought this scene would be really suspenseful if you rescored it with um, music that fits the tension. Because there, I think there's some well-staged, like, tension scenes in this where, you know, you're, you know, it's all... So much of this kind of movie is just, we got to, I used to do this character with a friend of mine, uh, the same person I used to imitate George Lucas in front of in the nineties, when they were doing the special editions, I started doing this character that was a janitor who worked at Lucasfilm. And <laughs> the joke was that all the new Star Wars movies were just going to be him doing everything. And Lucas was going to digitally uh, change it. So it's just this guy is like, yeah, me and George, we're making these movies. And, uh, you know, I do Darth Vader. I'll be like, ho, ho, Luke, I'm your father. And uh, he'd always just say, ho, ho, for the breathing for Darth Vader. So just be, ho, ho, I see the force is strong with you. Ho, ho. And, and I was always doing this character that was like, um, just, uh, going through the motions and they change it later. And, uh, there are like parts of, the, <laughs> I don't remember how I got to this point now. Oh, oh I know it was. It, 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 the line that that character would always say was, we got to get out of here. Like every scene was, we got to get out of here. And so I was yeah. always, do, I, he, I, so my friend would be like, hey, Jor, I, 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 I don't know what this guy's name was, but he'd be like, hey, um, give me a taste of what the new prequels would be like. All right. So there's this scene where there's this like this little Anakin Skywalker. He's there. And then R2-D2 is there. And then like, we, R2, we got to get out of here. And and you realize that's like the most common thing in all Star Wars movies is just we got to get out of here. It's yeah, like the right. and it always works. Like most of these movies are just we got to get out of here. Yeah. And uh, and this movie is no exception. It's a lot of like, hey, we got to get out of here. And it's gonna get you, too cold. Uh, this person's coming. Like whatever it is. Yeah, and it really works because it's on a primal level. It's you know escaping danger. That's exciting to watch. And sometimes and it's they a have very like, basic character want. Like at the very least, it's a driving force of a scene of we got to get out of here. There you go. Yeah. I mean, every Star Wars movie, every Indiana Jones movie, they're all just the push and pull of we got to go get this thing and then we got to get out of there. And mm -hmm. and those two dynamics, that's the whole ball game. If you were to remove the we got to go get this and the we got to get out of here, you'd have almost nothing left. And right. <laughs> And the thing is, if you have a we got to get out of here scene and you put really suspenseful, good music under it, it's really exciting. Um, there are times in this where there's a generic theme playing under a scene that could be very suspenseful. Yeah. yeah. And it looks and it looks good. And it, you know, it's, you know, there is a genuine, there are certain things that are almost just uh, bulletproof in terms of. The acting or the writing, you know, when Thor um, shoots Acton, yep, 
There's a, actually, there's a really, I think that's a really good scene, actually. The scene where Acton is talking to the ship's computer. And the brain. Yeah. yeah the, the big Gideon the big brain. all of a sudden, yeah. Yeah. The and literal I, brain. <laughs> and I kind of was thinking, there's something weird about Acton when he's like, I'm not worried about them. And we right. don't yet, we don't yet know that he can see the future. Um, <laughs> He says, I'm not worried about them. And I'm like, why isn't he worried? And I'm like, oh, my God. I kind of thought, is Acton a traitor? Like, he's weird. He could I thought be a tra- so, too. Yeah. He could be a traitor. And then he gets blasted by Thor. And I thought, oh, shit, Thor's the traitor. And I genuinely am like, that's exciting. I thought it was going to be that guy. Yeah. And then the sh- the Thor's like, get out of here. And the ship's computer's like, I'm not programmed to do that. And I thought, oh, this is now like Elmore Leonard territory. Because I really like in Elmore Leonard stuff when the criminals don't know what they're doing and they get you know locked in somewhere or something. They're like, oh, great. <laughs> right. Thor's a traitor, but he can't fly this ship because this ship wasn't programmed to be stolen by traitors. And <laughs> he has to geek squad the ship all of a sudden. Yeah. He's got like a soldering iron. <laughs> He's doing diagnostics. Yeah. And all of those dynamics, I'm like, these are good dynamics. And then when he's like, I, they're like, let us in. And he's like, I'm not going to let you in. I'm going to let you freeze to death out there. <laughs> and they're like, you're a traitor. <laughs> and everything was appealing to me about like that section of the movie in particular, where I was like, this is all working. All of these beats are really working and the acting's not great. And a lot of this looks unconvincing, but I am all in on the dynamics that are working here. Right. Like, and, and then later on, there are parts of the movie where I just thought, I know you can win me over. What is it that's, what is it that I'm tripping on here? Because I know like the, I'm sort of like in dialogue with the movie in my brain where I'm like, you've had me at various points. Why don't you have me now? And I realized it was because there was a point in the music where it sort of almost sounds like music you'd play like at a graduation ceremony. It's sort of like, (laughs) it's sort of like a, a thing that like, it's not suspenseful. It's like the metal ceremony music sort of. Yeah. And I'm like, you should have just asked Barry for like a couple of generics, really suspenseful stingers, you know, like just some drones. Like, I feel like that's what I like because you could do a lot if you rescored the second half of this movie at various points, you could fix a lot of things. Yeah, and it's not the fault of the composer, it is the fault of keeping the film a secret from the composer. Yep, which is oddly, I mean, it's a budget thing, but now I'm even like, is this a Luigi thing? Because we we had noticed that on contamination, like they have this band Goblin who are one of our faves. They're Italian prog band who did a lot of Argento's movies, but the soundtrack is lacking. And part of it is we noticed where we'd be like, this song is okay, but in the wrong scene. Like it's yeah. like, it's jaunty when it's supposed to be suspenseful. And it's because we assume they didn't see it or it was just B sides and you just kind of dump them in. And I do think, like, it is a... I'm amazed sometimes when people uh, don't recognize the power of music. Like, it's like, how many times have we done think pieces, like, done documentaries about, like, replace the psycho music with this? Like, right. and... Yeah. Like, and, 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 and I've had that, like, scoring films, honestly, where I was like, I wrote this thing, and it was supposed to be for this type of scene. You just kind of threw it into this other one, like... Not the choice I would have made. Like it just changes the tone immediately. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out a hot take that I'm just formulating. It's probably wrong, but I'll say it anyway. Which is um, that 
movies. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> this is insulting to a great many uh, crafts and arts and aspects that are important to a movie. But I'm gonna. I was gonna say that that movies are entirely casting and scoring, and if you can see it, like that's all. If you can see it, and it's casting and scoring, and if I had to start dropping things out of that, I'd say okay. If you can see it, then I drop uh, casting and scoring would be the last thing. Just in terms of like what can make or break a movie. Like if you gave me a movie that had terrible actors, horrible cinematography, and you let me score it how I wanted. I would have an easier time than if you gave me great actors uh, and wonderful cinematography and a great script and all these things, and then you let an idiot score it. Like, yeah. the score, to me, can save a movie and also ruin a movie in a way that maybe no other aspect of it can. Like, obviously, if the if it's so dark you can't see what's going on, that ruins it. There's other massive things, but I think... Sure. It, it, the easiest way to ruin a movie is to score it badly. Um, I sometimes wonder, as if push came to shove, I had to be like, John Carpenter's my favorite filmmaker. But are there many scenes and or even John Carpenter movies that I'm like, I think I just like, it's really getting pushed by that. I just really love the score. Like, and not completely, but there are definitely like, like Christine is a movie that I think is great, and then there are also I like will rewatch and be like, this part is like kind of not defensible, or like we'll see things that are not defensible. But I'm like, but are you hearing what's behind it? Like it's yeah. really pulling a visual together, and it's and it is. Uh, I think it also it just gets overlooked. I remember having a conversation with a friend who thought like the music in in a scene in like a Wes Anderson movie was like manipulative. And I was like, but that's kind of how movies work. <laughs> like, yeah, it's that's the whole. Design. It helps. It's, yeah, it's, it sounds like it's, it, it's almost like it. it's almost like saying the music was musical. That it's like right, music right, and yeah, movies. Yeah. The whole reason it's there is to make you feel the yeah. way that like. <laughs> right. Uh, I would say, here. Here's what I would say. If you take um, John Williams' score for uh, Star Wars, remove it from the film. And you give it to George Lucas and you take him over across the street to, with the locked cut of Star Crash. And he can put the music in or or like, let's say you take John Williams with him and they can score it. That's even that's even right. uh, more accurate and less fair in a way. But like <laughs> George Lucas is going to go over there and he and John Williams are going to score the unscored Star Crash. And then you take Luigi with John Barry's, uh, I'm not going to show you my movie uh, <laughs> cues Approach. that he's recorded. And he gets to score Star Wars Episode Four: New Hope. I bet those these movies, like right now, they're this far apart. Star Wars is way up here. Star Crash. <laughs> sure. I I bet they start to those lines start to sync up a little bit. Yeah. I bet Star Crash starts to become like, oh, the next time we see Acton, we hear Acton's theme, and John Williams has like scored this theme that makes us. And you know, uh, and what's the droid's name? <laughs> um, oh, uh, Sheriff L. L. L, yeah. yeah. L has a little theme that he comes in that, you know, like the, all these characters have these themes. I bet you, if you give Darth Vader, you take away some of the music that Darth Vader has to accompany him and you replace it with generic themes from Star Crash. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder, I wonder because, you know, and this is another take I have on Darth Vader is that he's not a, he's a, a very overrated villain in terms of his accomplishments. I think sure. you take away his music. Um, 
suddenly these these movies become closer to being equals. I mean, in the most drastic way, if you were rescoring Star Wars, A New Hope, mm-hmm. and yeah. the opening is not, and instead it goes, <laughs> like it's like yeah. the drastic thing of like yeah and by the way music is important like if we have yakety sax going the whole time it's gonna get a little goofier and it's just it is so um when i think of all of my favorite movies most of them could be ruined by just not even a bad score but just an average score like yeah. if you put if you put someone else who's competent but not extraordinary to score a movie like Taxi Driver. Yeah. Suddenly you've got like, oh, he drives around a lot in this movie. Yeah. You know? I have a lot more leeway for uh, I have a lot more leeway for piss poor synth soundtracks where like Mm -hmm. versus what you're kind of saying, I think where it's like for me, like orchestral scores, they're either this is mind blowing. This is changing everything or it's just kind of a background hum. It's just like, it's yeah. just like, here's the mm-hmm. strings and I know how it's going to go and I don't really care that much. And it, yeah, like, and, and I, I, I have a, uh, just like my threshold for orchestral is like, it has to kind of, and I, that's the, that's the hard part. You can pretty easily just make a shit, uh, orchestral score to it's me. It's like, it's like a Howard Shore score for like a Mel Gibson movie in the late nineties or something, you know, where it's like, it's right. like the lower tier action Mel Gibson or something. And you're like, all right, there's nothing special in this. You're just kind of doing a job of like, yeah, you're do- it's like, a jobber. It's like when you see a director who's a jobber and it's like yeah. a musician who's being a jobber. Well, you see that with like Danny Elfman or even like Hans Zimmer sometimes like where you're like, yeah. this was your score for this movie. And like, you're, you're right. brilliant. You, you know, like yeah. I, you're typically, and it just sounded kind of like whatever. And it's not that everything needs to stand out, but we've talked about in Commando. Like, it's a ridiculous score, and you could hear other things that he has done, but when you've got that, like, bang, 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 like, yeah. steel drum thing, it's like, okay, this is an interesting idea you're doing. I do. Elfman I, could do an Elfman, yeah. I do miss the days of, uh, in the same way that I miss the days where, like, Tim Burton films felt handmade as opposed to sort of digital. Yeah. yeah. I do have a real fondness for one of my favorite score, Elfman scores is Scrooged. Yeah. Uh, because because you can hear the way uh, the next five things he's the next five major things he's going to do are all in that score already. That it basically is kind of like uh, it starts off and it's kind of like la 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 bum 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 bum, and you can right. practically feel it going into like ha 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 yeah, you know where it's sort of you can hear the Simpsons, you can hear Batman and Beetlejuice, you can hear all of these things all in Scrooge, and. I I do long for the day that I see another movie and and Elfman just throws in a couple of those la 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 las. I know you have to like remember the time before it became the thing. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it's yeah. like before, like where you're like same with Hans Zimmer, where it's like okay, that's like the arpeggiated thing, like and and it's like that one is just an arpeggio versus this is an arpeggio that pulls at the heartstrings. Like for me, yeah, my Elfman is Beetlejuice. Like I get like. Like I get teared up in the first opening theme because there's some sort of musical choice he made and how it builds on it that Mm -hmm. doesn't feel like I'm giving you the thing that I do. 
versus yeah. this is something where it is what I do, but I'm still invested in it, I guess. Yeah. In Star Crash, uh, it really does most time you're like, this is just kind of you shoved in. Like, it's like when you have like six songs and knowing it's not in digital editing, but if you're just sitting there, just like, let's try this one. That's eh, good enough. Let's try this one. Eh, it kind of matches up. Eh, throw it in. Go for it. It does feel like, um, to a certain extent, almost like if there are X number of cues, it wouldn't have been that different if they just lined them up and repeated them until the movie was over. <laughs> yes. In terms right. of like, sometimes you do that and it will line up perfectly, you know, 20% of the time. And when it works, you're like, ooh, it lines up, you know? Right. Yeah. yeah. It's like a music I bed. think. I think it, that would take, like... I think that's the thing is like the 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 cheap that's where the cheap versus low budget would come in where it's just like cheap leading to bad decisions and not leading to well we've talked about where in low budget it leads to kind of interesting decisions like and in this case it is also for me it was very hard to I would like forget honestly that it's supposed to be star wars like because i did more be like oh it's like a serial like it's like it's more of like an old school forbidden planet like even in like some of the visuals like we're getting into that world and then there would be times where i would almost like sigh to myself out loud and just be like come on like when (laughs) the star wars wipes would happen and i was just Uh like come on man or the ship shots you know where it's like the ship shot is insane like ripping off you know uh the ship uh like going over the mass, you know, like to, to give right. you a sense of like how massive it is. And it's like, there's no definition to this lighting whatsoever to make no. it seem like it's the same approach with models, but yet they, they've taken no time. Like Lucas has to like light it a certain way or give it this weight, this feeling it's all this plastic. Movie is the argument against practicals sometimes, <laughs> you know what I mean? Where it's like for the right. first time in my life, I'm like, nah, maybe let's, if we could digital, that would be great. Cause uh, uh, I'm going to hate a squib. Uh, yeah. Let's do this. Um, I mean, the lightsaber showing up was the ultimate one out of all of them where yeah. I was just like, cause I, like, yeah. now this is a thing. Yeah. Right. Right. Now this is a thing could also be the tagline for a star crash. True. Like plot wise, character wise, definitely acting. Like his whole character every time. I mean, we talked about it with L when L really becomes Southern. I just, yeah. you just keep writing, like, okay, I guess this is your thing. Now this is a thing. And then Caroline Monroe's character, uh, Stella Starr, like being shown, like in that very confusing scene where they're dumping these rad- radiant, like, uh, I don't know, like these giant balls into this energy dome thing uh and she like kicks that guy's ass and like you're supposed to believe that she's stella star like very infamous stella star and like she's this badass but then like she like literally is saying like then you can save me then or like she's she's literally saying out loud to the male like other uh you know cast and stuff to be like or the characters to be like and then you'll save me or they're saying and then i can save you then Right. And it's like she has no no agency whatsoever throughout the movie, even though she's supposed to be this like this big to do character. Yeah, yeah. You know what I appreciate about her as an actress is like one, I just let like she's been in the Black Cat and she's great. Like she's just in a, and she was in a lot of Hammer horror films for a yeah, period. I think she's but great. Yeah. I totally appreciate that. Like one, she's obviously beautiful. And right. all they did was put her in the skimpiest outfit. They're that, like barbarelling like, it. Yeah. They're barbarelling it. And they only put her in more clothes at the end because they were like the American 
TV is not going to play this if she's this naked. But if you like look at her history and this shows what she also had to deal with and every woman had to deal with, like mm-hmm. all of her IMDb like bio is basically like they wanted her to be nude. She declined. She lost the part. And then she was in this and she didn't want to be a nude scene so she lost the part right it's like constantly this like no like i like i know i like it's both like she's like i get it you're using me as like the james bond like ooh, look at this yeah, the woman eye candy, yeah. the eye candy right. but at the same time like you both gotta respect that and what a shit show like to always <laughs> be honest but especially a woman then in genre yeah. film uh so rough yeah but I think we're I think we're uh, we're dodging the the main concern, which is like, how did she learn to fight like that? Like they never explained it, like how she got so <laughs> right. good at fighting. Um, yeah, just trying. To, I'm just sorry. I'm just channeling the a persona of a modern uh, 21st century person reacting to a female heroine demanding right. an, and an explanation that very for much. how good they are at fighting in a in a fantasy movie. <laughs> And why is she not doing that move where she wraps her legs around someone's head and then flips them? Come on, man. <laughs> not cool. I mean, I will say with the fighting, it might have been about hers too, but I think it was about uh, Acton's. I think, did you read Acton how they Thor. said, like, yeah, it's they, all just improvised? Like, they just on, improvised that fight scene. <laughs> which looks like, again, going to what you said, Connor, where it's like a movie dialogue wise, mm-hmm. where it would be like a little kid playing with action figures. That's yeah. like being like, we don't need anyone to choreograph a fight. Just like do what you think fighting looks like. Yeah, I mean, I I would love to see um, what it would be like now if you because like you know, there's a lot of sets that are built for this. There's a lot of like infrastructure mm-hmm. made for this movie. And I'm just imagining what if you put like a bunch of really great improvisers on these sets. And right. just gave them enough time to breathe. Not even trying to make a funny movie. Just be like, try to make a really compelling, uh, <laughs> like version of this scene. Right. We have all we have all day on this set, and or like, because I you guarantee like when they're the prisoners dumping the little things and down the hole. Yes. Uh, I guarantee if you put like a, a a group of really talented improvisers in that set as the prisoners, and you just gave them a day. Yeah. They would come up with something great. Yeah. As far trade as like market. Yeah. Trade market. Put it in it, put it on a USB drive, stick it in an envelope, send it to yourself. Send it to myself. An- another scene like that, Connor, I think that would be fun with improvisers, like where you gave them a whole day is the Amazon like the Amazon scene. Like, you know, when like yeah. that whole like when yeah. they're in because that doesn't really make sense where all of a sudden there's like die robot, and then it's like, okay, they're bring it to her, and then L ends up taking the main Amazon uh captive it just feels so rushed and so like what was the point of this only it to get to like the ray the... harry Housen like you right know, yeah uh, set piece but it like at that felt like this needs to breathe we need something yeah. here that like could be fun too and that could be a potentially fun scene but yeah i thought we would see that actress again the queen or whatever because yeah. she was like connected um and yeah it feels like it did exist just for ray harry Housen and eye candy like yeah. moment. That's a Corman uh, aspect of it. Yeah. She yeah. did look a lot like she was a singer in an early 2000, like Brooklyn Electro Clash band. Absolutely. Like, I was like, she definitely has played with Fisher Spooner and like Larry <laughs> T at like, you know, uh, pianos or something. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. Yeah. 
and I, I it's weird because my when when they go into the Amazon's uh room and it's just like there's like 30 women all in the same skimpy outfit and then mm-hmm. their protector is the big uh silver robot thing <laughs> right with nipples with boobs on. with boobs and giant nipples <laughs> yeah yeah it kind of made me wish that instead of it being the room full of people in the skimpy clothes that they all looked like smaller versions of that big thing you know what i mean yeah. like yeah. that yeah. so it would make sense because i think that i mean that probably would be more expensive also um to make 30 i would imagine costumes like that but yes yeah like it sort of felt to me like one or the other either make that just a really tall version of the amazons that's like going mm-hmm. after them or make them all short versions of that big creature they could have also like attack of the 50 foot woman did yeah, just had to be a human being, like just because, like the rate, like it's like as someone who again wants to defend practicals, this was like an example of like, oh right, the Ray Harry house, like he was amazing. Yeah, like those yeah. that work was amazing, and this is real. This is like when you are in your first year of film school and you're like, I'm going to make a stop motion film, <laughs> and like, yeah, there's yeah. just like log sections where you're like, you just spent two weeks moving an arm, and you're like, I can't edit it. I did it, so I have to. I have to put it in. <laughs> I saw a, a video recently that someone had done where they had done motion smoothing on old uh, Ray Harryhausen stuff, oh. and because uh, they were like, "What if he'd had access to motion smoothing to be able to make it the movements smoother?" And almost unanimously, every comment was just like n- not liking the, just like preferring it in the original way that the motion smoothing. Um, not that that couldn't be done, because I do think there is something about taking old... I like the idea of when um, you merge these things, like the old practical effects, and then you subtly use the new yes. digital things to sort of... Like, I think one of the great tricks that is not used that often is when you make a black and white film that has CGI effects... Um, which is, there's not a lot of examples of this, but, um, although I guess anytime I haven't seen Mank yet, but I bet there are digital effects in that that look better than usual because they're being masked a little bit by the, the way we view black and white. But I saw, um, Frank Darabont's, um, The Mist. He he released like a black and white version of it. Yeah. And I've never seen, I've never seen the color version of it, but I'm like. This is like whatever, like late '90s, early 2000s CGI, but it looks amazing because your eye is not trained to see Jurassic Park type CGI in right. black and white. Yeah. So instead, you're sort of like, how did they make this in 1950? Your brain is kind of like every effect you've ever seen in black and white has been herky jerky, and now yeah. you're seeing this like smooth reality, and the black and white is really forgiving. It really like it takes away any aspect of uncanny valley that you might have with a digital effect. Right. Because now I, it's like honestly the first time I'm realizing to some extent that's like I generally don't love like you know CGI like that, but like if it is in black and white, it takes away one of the bigger problems where it's like the color is always slightly off or the like especially with blood off. in the lighting exactly frank the it's lighting never, you're always no correct like lighting yeah and you're like the shadows are never going to work and like it does it is it does seem like it would be more forgiving and smooth it out and would make my mind not be so jerky I, it's, it's a fun it's, little yeah. experiment to turn the color off on your tv or your monitor and right. watch black and white versions of uh of color movies in the, from the past 20 years and see which ones uh, 
hold up in a different way, you know? I might have to black and white mist it tonight. Yeah, I think that's the way to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's a movie that I really don't like the look of that I might like it if I had like a high contrast black and white version of it. So, you know, they're doing Zack Snyder is releasing his Snyder cut again in all black and white. When is that coming out in 3D? I I don't know. (laughs) Release release the black and white Snyder cut in 3D and 4DX. And I want it in like Vincent Price House of Wax, like William Castle style 3D. Oh yeah, like like red and red and blue, where your eyes hurt after two minutes. Here comes Superman, and his fist comes right at your face. (laughs) Exactly. I want Jason. I want like in Friday 13th 3 that eye coming at you, like (laughs) (laughs) equivalent. Ugh, bad. Uh, well, uh, we're we're hitting a lot of this stuff, but the one thing that we haven't really talked about too much yet is uh, Hasselhoff, the Hoff. Right. Feelings on I, the Hoff. He doesn't make that much of an impression on me in this. <laughs> right. He doesn't. It, it, you know, because when his name showed up in the credits, it almost reminded me of like when something happens... I think we'll all relate to this as like when something crazy happens in reality and people who aren't in comedy will come up to you and be like, uh, oh, I bet you're going to have fun with that. Like anything that everybody right. agrees, like, can't wait to see what SNL is going to do with that. Those are usually things that aren't as much fun when they actually arrive <laughs> because everyone sort of has this vague notion of what's fun about it and nothing's going to deliver on that. Yeah. And when David Hasselhoff's name popped up, I had that thing of like, oh, boy, here we go. And he's kind of like maybe to me the most boring part of the movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, he doesn't bring a lot to the table. And I think I also real like when he came on screen, I was like, wait, what was I expecting him to do? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I, I wasn't it's it's not like I know I would mentioned before, but if like you didn't know Walken was going to show up. Or and, right. and you're like, oh, this is a crazy t-. like. It's like all of a sudden I was like, wait, what? Am I just expecting? I mean, he looks good enough. He's got mascara on, and that's like his eyes are popping. But what's funny about him hasn't happened yet. You know what I mean? We're sort of <laughs> yeah. seeing him right before. Like, there's, there's, he's sort of fine in it. You know, it's kind of like. Um, if you didn't know there was anything funny about him, you would be it would be hard to convince someone based on this movie. No, no, no. There's something funny about him. Like right. the idea of him. Um, Down like the I, line, he's gonna become like huge in Germany as a singer, and then he's gonna eat a hamburger drunk, and then like Baywatch. Have you heard of Baywatch? Oh, you haven't. It's 1979 or 77, whatever the release is. I saw a clip just by happenstance. It was one of those things that, like, when you're watching stuff on YouTube and then you don't pay attention, you end up watching other things. just gives you other things. And one of them was um, David Hasselhoff, I think at the premiere of Larry Crown, the Tom (laughs) Hanks movie. And he was being asked, um, what is your favorite Tom Hanks movie? And he said, oh, without question, The Philadelphia Story. And then he starts going on talking about the movie Philadelphia, which he is just, and there's nothing funny about what he said, but there's something, and it's an easy enough mistake to make, but he said it so confidently. He just came out and said the Philadelphia story. Right. Um, And that was funnier to me than anything he did in this movie. (laughs) Yeah. It really, I think it's just, it's odd to me just in that, like, I mean, just for, it was just like, oh, there's, there's crazier actors in it. So by the time it got to him, I was just like, oh, right. Okay. 
that's cool. <laughs> I love I love that at the end. One of my favorite moments of um. Because there's moments in this where they succeed on purpose. Like the, I'm talking about the filmmakers, the people making this, whether it's the yeah. actors, uh, collectively, the, the people making the film. There's moments where they succeed on purpose. There's moments where they succeed by accident. And then there's moments where they completely fail at everything they're trying to do. And one of those moments that I like is the little moment at the end where uh, Hasselhoff and Star are uh, standing there and... Um, well, Sheriff, Sheriff Robot. What's his name? L. L. <laughs> Sheriff Robot. Um, Sheriff Robot. I, I cannot, I cannot keep that character's L. I cannot keep that character's name in my head. He's doing a, like a, oh, oh. He's like looking back and forth. Like, are they going right. to kiss? Are they going to kiss? He's like, oh, 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 back and forth. And then they just hug. Yeah. They don't kiss. They just hug. <laughs> and I thought... What an awkward way to end a space fantasy. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's not that I think they should kiss, but, like, they sort of hug the way that, like, they're, like, awkward work colleagues. Um, <laughs> right. It's not... And it's, like, weirdly framed. You realize you don't see, like... Hasselhoff sort of, like, leads with the the arm that's uh, facing camera, so it sort of, like, covers the hug a little bit. And I just realized, like, I've never seen anything quite like this in an actual movie, this kind of hug. it yeah. I feel like I've experienced it, and I've seen it in real life, that sort of weird hug that relatives <laughs> give each other or something, where it's like, uh, hey, It's the most realistic we... part of this movie. Yeah. It well, really is, like... That comes right after the part where he does that weird line delivery where he goes, Stella, Stella, and welcome home. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, what? Or like that's like the part where Acton says like, uh, "Would I lie to you?" And you're like, "What the fuck are you talking about? Like, what is this in reference to?" <laughs> right. There are a couple hangers there. There's a couple just like float er, floaters of lines out there where you're just like, "What exactly is going on?" And like, did we miss something before or after? And then when she uh, talks about L when he comes back. And she goes, "You look marvelous." And I was like, "This feels like it sounds like she's doing a Billy Crystal impression." <laughs> I would love that. She's a big Fernando's Hideaway fan. Um, I mean, Granted, well, it, so, it predated, but yeah. I mean, just for the hut. No, she saw it just like Hoth and all this. This is a prescient movie. Acton told her about. He's like, "I can't tell you about the future because that would ruin everything." But have, you should check out Fernando's Hideaway when it comes to the eighties. <laughs> uh, uh, it'll be one year. It'll be a crazy year of SNL. Um, did were we going with the hug just quickly? Were we supposed to at one point think that her and L were going to be a couple or were a couple when they were laying down on Hoth and there holding was hands? just yeah and holding him? There was like some sort of the language of it was very like, wait, are they going to weirdly become a inter, you know? Uh, human yeah. robot. Like it's an issue of heavy metal or something. Yeah. Like, are they going to bone is what I was wondering. And then it kind of didn't go anywhere just like a lot of things. But I was like, were we supposed to think that or just friendship? When I it got it to some... the hug, I assumed because I thought that's what his oh. look back and forth was. Oh, yeah. I didn't never occurred to me, but it makes sense. I feel like maybe on the rewatch, I, I'd be more invested in, in that. They could have been a couple. Yeah. Um, there's certainly more chemistry. I'd rather see Elle and Stella end up together than uh, Stella and the Prince. Um, 
I just looked up the biography of Judd Hamilton, who plays L. Already I'm invested. He made three movies as an actor. All right, so this is the this is the middle film in the three movies he made. He uh, and they were pretty widely it, like they were in in quick succession. He oh no wait I guess the this was the first one made that he was no he was in a movie in 1969 called A Talent for Loving, and then Star Crash and then the last horror film and that's it. Yeah, he was born in 1942. In his early years, he worked as a studio musician, nightclub entertainer, and record producer. During this time, he had the good fortune to know and work with some of the great 60s music artists, including The Ventures, The Beach Boys, Crazy Horse, Neil Young's band, Leon Russell, David Gates from Bread, Pat and Lolly Vegas, and Daryl Dragon of Captain and Tennille. In the fall of 1965, Liberty Records asked Judd to form a touring band called The T-Bones to promote a session musician uh, recorded instrumental called No Matter What Shape. So it, it looks like he was mostly doing music. They 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 did an album called Everyone's Gone to the Moon. Um, they did a tour of Japan. Um, they had some hit singles, including a song called Don't Pull Your Love and then Fallen in Love Again. Oh. Uh, yeah, and then he, he was in the movie A Talent for Loving. It says that unexpected turn of events sent his showbiz career spinning in a new direction. He started a solo career. He did Star Crash. He executive produced the film Maniac. Ah. Uh, and then he wrote and produced uh, a, the seventh annual Sci-Fi Awards television special. What a strange life. And then here's yeah. the fine. Here's the later act of it. I believe he's still alive, but it says more recently. And I don't know how recently this IMDb di- biography was written. Judd's creative efforts shifted to inventing and globally patenting a unique radiation shielding concrete slash coating material called X-Rock. Spelled X-R-O-K. X-Rock has been extensively tested at Idaho National Labs with the purpose of repairing the Hanford-Chernobyl-Fukushima nuclear radiation disasters, securing leaking leaking radiated waste sites, replacing the carcinogenic lead in X-ray facilities, and protecting data centers. Judd currently serves as the chairman of Cooperations Incorporated, the Ceramic Cement Corporation, and the founder of... I don't know what it stands for. E F F O R T S, a nonprofit research organization. Well, heck, I'm up to all kinds of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> this will keep for that toxic goo from uh, dripping. <laughs> yeah, we're here to clean up Chernobyl. My life ain't little hot potatoes here. Man. I want to see that biopic. Yeah, he has done more than any of us ever will. He had a recording career. He worked with the Beach Boys. He was it's a like, robot in a in a Star Wars ripoff, and then he invented a shield that will protect against <laughs> radiation. That is insane. Yeah. I mean, that is like also just like pure L.A. Like of just like one of those guys where you're like, what did you do? Everything, baby. Yeah. <laughs> like, He's like, yeah. I was part of the wrecking crew, and then I helped uh, develop something from keeping nuclear disasters. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> I I bought the gun for Phil Spector, and then <laughs> I also started a fire extinguisher company. And you're like, okay, whatever, wherever this is going. Just the idea that if you were talking to a guy because you needed something to shield you from radiation and you're talking to this guy and he's telling you all about X-Rock and then you find out that he is the robot L in Star Crash. <laughs> you're like, I know that voice. Yeah. Where do I know you from? I know that voice. <laughs> oh, don't, I, don't worry about it. You don't know. <laughs> <laughs> There's no, I know it. <laughs> no, you don't know. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Let's get serious. Uh, we can talk about Starcraft later. We we gotta <laughs> deal with this radiation. This we is Xbox, here. baby. <laughs> can I finish? Can I finish? Oh. Can I finish? Can I finish? <laughs> <laughs> well, I I think we're at the point where we'll probably start to wrap up here. I mean, do yeah. we do we have anything we haven't talked about? Anything we wanted to make sure we get to about Star Crash? Oh, Hasselhoff did have. Uh... Um, food poisoning. Apparently, that's why he had a double do. That's why they had that mask thing that he never used again. Man, I was wondering what was going. On. I mean, she also apparently had some sort of gastrointestinal thing as right. well. She like made a joke about like, good thing I was wearing that plastic suit in that one scene. And was <laughs> like, it was it Hasselhoff that I saw kicked out a stunt person's tooth? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. again, they just were improvising everything. Like he's just <laughs> people are just kicking and flopping and flipping all over the place. Bad. Yeah. Is there anything else here we missed? No. I mean, I think I got most of my stuff. Yeah, I think I, I think everything that I because already I can sort of feel parts of the movie that I just watched starting to like say goodbye in my mind. Like I can feel like. You know, yeah. you get to that point where you realize the things you need to remember from a, a, a movie experience and the things that you genuinely don't. Yeah. And so you sort of save the bullet points. And I can feel like a, a huge portion of what I'm going to retain from this movie um, is the very good sound-alike score by John Barry yeah. and and the, the comedic energy of uh, Judd Hamilton as L. Which really yeah. is everything. In a movie like this, one character who's just a romping good time buys a lot of affection from me as a moviegoer. Yeah. it's But that's the fun part is with Elle is I think it's like halfway through my notes is when I finally wrote like, do I love Elle? Like I was like all of a sudden I was just like, <laughs> all right. It's taken this long, but I got really on board with this, this character. Because I've always been a little bit as a diehard like star wars movie fan from childhood i think i've always been a little bit resistant to the charms of c-3po nothing against anything about anthony daniels or the way it's written or performed i think i always just found him a little you know i, I always thought han solo was funnier than c-3po right. and that C. I really liked the way they use c-3po on rise of skywalker i thought he had a really genuinely good funny plot in that movie um and i think like uh, the there have been so there are examples where i really like him but L is just immediately kind of like works for me right. where he's like when he shows up to take them out of prison and he, it sort of has that same feeling as like slim Pickens in Dr. Strangelove where you just feel like if I wanted to listen to any character in this movie, just talk. Yeah. Like if someone said, we're going to, you have to make a sequel to star crash. You have to do some sort of, some aspect of it has to be a sequel. L would be immediately. I'd just be like a standalone L movie, yeah. a series of a series of standalone L movies, where <laughs> he's just you know, because I think I'd give L the same kind of career arc that Judd has. Like I'd have him. He's not just gonna be this this robot sheriff. He's also gonna like invent stuff and maybe have a recording career. You yeah, know? yeah. It could become its own Disney Plus series. Yeah, L like, is our Boba Fett. L is yeah. like, yeah. like I would love it if L landed on a planet that was for him what the planet of the Amazons was supposed to be for like a human audience watching, where it's just all 
female versions of that robot, and he's like, "Oh boy!" Where he's just like, "But to us, <laughs> it just looks like dog. the it just looks like the, they all look the same as him. They're just these clunky robotic creatures." <laughs> but he's like, "Oh my god, this is paradise!" Yeah, I think I'm gonna like it here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, man, yeah, because it is. A, it's like if you were like, "Yeah, Kinky Friedman did the voice of that." I just like, "Sure, man, yeah, <laughs> works for me." Um, yeah, Elle's the winner. I do think that is a, It's like. Having L was the saving grace of, I think, the what you kind of pointed out, Connor, which was great, is that like it, there are the reason it kind of can dissipate in your mind. You stick to these bullet points is there is enough that it, the problem isn't that it's ripping off this or paying homage to this or what have you. It's just that it's just another scene. Like I, I when it's like we have to go to the three different planets and check out where the emperor like. There were one or two I started to zone out. Like, I just was like, what exactly are we doing here? What? Who yeah. are we looking for? And they feel like they're giving up. They're like, we got to go here. There's nothing here. What are we doing? I like the score. I, I, I like, well, I liked the one score when she goes onto the, uh, the spaceship to explore it. That was mm-hmm. the one time I was like, oh, I like this score. Yeah. I tried to get a copy. I think there's only like 1,500 unless they repress it. They did that like small oh, press yeah. for promo and oof, that's, yeah. that's one to hunt down on Discogs. Mondo, yeah. are you Mondo? Are you listening? Serious. <laughs> yeah. Feels like a Mondo. Please. Feels like a, a it's the type of thing that you press a thousand, they'll sell out on a Wednesday. Exactly. Yep. Record Next record store day. Let's get Star Crash soundtrack oh, up here. Yeah. Man. So yeah, I think, so I think at that point, even uh, it's time for our rating system. So even though this isn't a canon, what we do is we rate these on how canon do you think this canon slash could have been a canon is in relation to the terms of canon films. Now, whether it's good, now whether it's bad, but does it fit into the realm of this is what canon does uh, from one to ten canons? Uh, I'll start with you, Connor. We like to throw you right into this rating system that makes no sense. Boy, I, you know, I'm gonna say, uh, I'm gonna say seven, because it's mm-hmm. it's it's probably not like the if you were just gonna say like this is a canon film, it wouldn't be the one that you put right out in front because I don't feel like it has quite that sort of Chuck Norris, you know, action right. vibe. It's a little bit more quirky. But it definitely fits. It's definitely not like a Cassavetes or a Five Corners or a Pawakatsi. Um, it's definitely not at the prestige end, which I feel is the um, the the little. I feel like that's those films are canon films that that prove the they're the exceptions that prove the rule. Right. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to say seven. I think that's a good. That's a good I like one. that answer, Frank. What do you got? Yeah, I'm a, I think I'm at a six. <clears throat> I don't think it's uh, as fun as Hercules, the other Lewis Coates movie, yeah. which is just so much fun to watch uh, with Lou Ferrigno. Uh, and it uses it seems it uses a lot of the same uh, space pieces uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> from this movie. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I think it has enough elements, especially with like the choices made and kind of like being like, we got to get this out. And like the acting, like there's at least one very credible actor in it. And it's like yep. got these choices and even just a little bit of that sleaze. That's the Corman touch, of course, yeah. but it's got a little bit of that uh, stuff. It, it probably could have been like if it were a little bit more violent, I would say that that definitely would feel more canon. But um, yeah, I think I'm resting at a six. 
Yeah, I'm going to split the difference and go with 6.5 because I do think even though it isn't a canon, if it was a canon, it would be in the and also category where you'd be yeah. like, oh, you know, canon like, yeah, they do these films. They do these films. And also they do these crazy like there's Hercules and Star Crash and like and then there's also these prestige films. So that's the thing. There's canon. And yeah. then, and also, and then. It's like yeah. the like, horror films that Canon uh, does. You yeah. Know, like, they're, it's like, yeah, they have these kind of cool little, like, indie flashers or slashers. Right. That, like, it's part of it, but it's not really their thing. Yeah. I don't remember our ratings exactly, but I still say, like, where you love New Year's Evil, but it feels yeah. like if we didn't rate it low on the Canon scale, it should be low because it feels like it exists in its own. Yeah, horror. yeah. The horror they don't get exactly in a canon way, but it has just enough canon. Yeah. Does Fantastic. it feel like? Does it? Does it feel like if canon were a huge studio that the end also would have been like, uh, like uh, Fox Searchlight or something, or like they would yeah. have created um, the Touchstone Pictures. Uh, yep. Yeah, they would have created a an end also, and then a prestige like an art house. Definitely uh, sub label if they were into that. Canon Star or something would be yeah. like the prestige ones. It still would be a clunky name. That, I think like, Canon 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 Prestige would be a good name. I think Canon yeah. Prestige is pretty nice. Yeah, because <laughs> it's, it's so like to... it's so tackily it's so tackily upfront about like and these films are prestigious, right? But that would and that's it would right be, up I the could, alley of Globus. Yeah, yeah Golan and Globus. You could yeah. picture Menachem and and Yoram just being like, "It's prestige. These are prestige. It's film. It's great. We love film. It's a <laughs> give us the Oscar. Ever. Go ahead. Yeah. Yes, we're gonna finally." get these oscars more oscars thank you runaway trade oh man well this was fantastic yeah star crash what a wild ride still can't believe david Hasselhoff was in it because i don't remember that he was really in it there are much more fun things uh but connor thank you so much for doing this oh thank and, you for having me and connor where can the people find you they can find me on twitter at connor ratliff if you spell my name right you'll uh that'll be it and you'll be there. <laughs> and uh, my podcast, Dead Eyes, just recently finished its second season. We're working on a third season now. And the George Lucas Talk Show, which is on Planet Scum, you can find. We did. We used to do it as a UCB show, and uh, but for the past year, we've been doing it uh, as a live stream show. And you can find all 331 hours that we've done since last May on, on our YouTube channel. Crazy. And right now we're we're recuperating. We're taking a break and trying to figure out uh, if and when uh, we can uh, figure out a time that we feel like coming back. Nice. I mean, all fantastic stuff. Everyone should check out if you have not. Yeah, it's uh, so good. It's yeah. really fun. And past uh, guest Griffin Newman, also part of that. Yep, exactly. Yes. Uh, Cutter, what character does Griffin play? Griffin plays Watto, the uh, yep. slave trader from The Phantom Menace. <laughs> yep. And, you know, the thing is, uh, that character is in two Star Wars movies, probably has, you know, 10 or 15 minutes of screen time total. Griffin has now done his version of the character so much more than the actual <laughs> character. Like, there is an argument to be made that, that from a He's historical... Canon. You know, yeah. yeah, just that, like, more people have seen the official Watto, but he's starting to catch up in terms of the total hours. It's starting to, the the the, the relatively small size of our audience has actually watched Watto for so much more than the millions <laughs> of people who've seen the uh, the real Watto. That I kind of feel yeah. like he, it's becoming the legitimate take on Watto. Nice. Griffin is my Watto. 
And that's yes. all we know. Like that's yes. what it is. I yeah. I hope it. I I hope it becomes like that, where it's sort of like James Bond, where people people have like uh, Their favorite, they yeah. they think of, they think of 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 Griffin Newman as like the Roger Moore of the Watto franchise, you right. know, or something. <laughs> The real Watto is the lazed bee of it. <laughs> like, it's like, wait, what? He was just in that one little movie? Oh, man. Fantastic. Uh, well, thank you again uh, for doing this. Frank, uh, where can the people find us? Uh, on Twitter and Instagram at the Canon Canon. The second Canon is one in and at patreon.com backslash the Canon Canon. And thank you so much to everyone who keeps on listening and supporting on the Patreon. Mm-hmm. And... Until next week, I'm Jeff Garlock. And I'm Frank Garcia Hale. And this is The The Cannon. Cannon. Time for a little robot chauvinism.